0: You're listening to Episode 7 of The Inconvenience Podcast featuring Ernie Parker.
1: Welcome to the Inconvenience Podcast. My name's Frank Beard.
0: And I'm Al Abeer, the gas station gourmet.
1: And this is an episode we've wanted to do for a while. Our guest is Ernie Harker, uh, who you may have seen speaking at industry events. He's been he's been at the Knack Show, I think, for maybe the past four years. But Ernie is a branding consultant, public speaker uh, with Earnburn. Um, he is the expert on branding.
0: Yeah, and I got to tell you, he's got an interesting story about what he did with Maverick. I-, I love that story.
1: Yeah, I think many of our listeners may have had the chance to visit a Maverick, um, and you may not have realized that a lot of what you're seeing is a result of Ernie's work. Um, this is a guy that really understands how to build a brand and why it matters so much, which I think for a lot of our listeners is extremely important, especially those who might have a single store operation and you know can really benefit from a unique, differentiated brand.
0: Oh, absolutely. And Frank, for the benefit of those folks listening who may not be in a region where Maverick is, where where can you find Mavericks in this country? Maverick tends to be mostly out
1: west. I mean, they're based out of Utah. Um, you'll see some in Colorado. Um, I mean, Al, we we went to one, what was it, in Arizona? I think so. It was Arizona or New Mexico. Um, but we definitely passed through one on our Actually, no, that was Arizona. Yeah, because we were going to Scottsdale. Um, but yeah, we had a chance to visit uh, some Mavericks on our 2008 road trip we took to the NAC show. But easiest way to describe Maverick, and if you Google it, you'll see this, it looks like REI meets a convenience store. I mean, their slogan is, it's adventure's first stop.
0: And, and I love that. And I got to tell you, uh, Nitro reminds me so much of Ron Swanson. So when you, <laughs> when you hear... Uh, when you hear him talking about a guy who's a little dangerous, might make you uncomfortable, that's Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson makes you feel a little uncomfortable. He's a little dangerous, but you really like Ron because he's <laughs> such an, uh, a nonconformist and and just, gosh, I mean, Nitro's Ron Swanson, in my opinion.
1: You know, I never really made that connection. I, I guess I was so focused on that, you know, dark colored beard that he had. Um, it reminded me of Billy Mays, who, mm. RIP Billy, He made he made commercials fun.
0: Oh my God! I Rest him. his soul. Yeah.
1: I mean, that guy yeah. could sell anything, but it, Nitro looked like <laughs> looked like Billy Mays meets uh, meets convenience stores. It was the best oh, thing God, ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is this is an episode that has a lot to cover. A um, couple of things that I'll mention. Um, we do have longer episodes. We don't expect everybody to listen to that all in one go, but I would highly suggest that you at least try to get through this one, whether. It's in chunks, a little bit here and there. There's so much good content, so many good lessons to take away. Um, I mean, Al was essentially taking notes through the whole <laughs> oh God, The whole yeah. recording.
0: Now, now we do want to warn listeners to be sure to ignore everything he says about television. Since I make my living in television, uh, you know, we just can't get enough television. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, But Ernie, Ernie's great. He, does, he doesn't watch a lot of TV, uh, but uh, we love him anyway.
1: Yeah. There's so much to take away from this episode. Um, A couple things I'll remind everyone too though. All of the articles that we mentioned, all of the um, commercials with Nitro, all of this is on Ernie's episode page at inconveniencepodcast.com. We put timestamps for all the subjects that are discussed so you can see what's covered. Ernie's bio is there. Um, Anything that is interesting that we talk about is gonna be linked there. So I highly suggest everybody pull that up. But also be sure to visit us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and smash that subscribe button. That's how you're gonna get new episodes the moment they're released and you won't have to go seek them out because they'll be downloaded automatically.
0: Great idea. And Frank, I gotta tell you, let's remind people, you know, when you're listening to these things, have a have a little notepad there and take a few notes because, you know, I, I think every time we we visit with someone in this industry, we come away with some good ideas that you can implement in your store today. You don't have to wait a week. And, and if, uh, you know, some of these things you can, you could just do today, you could do it tomorrow. So I do urge people to, you know, make sure you have something to take a few notes on. So, uh,
1: yeah, I would 100% agree, especially this episode. Uh, oh, there's a, yeah. There, there, there was a lot of practical advice about not just how to build a good brand, but, how do really dig into your existing one and maybe find what's missing, um, but what was there when you first started your your business? Uh, kind of rediscover the magic in a sense.
0: Oh, no doubt. I think it'll, everybody will enjoy it and you'll get a lot out of it. Take notes.
1: Take notes, guys. All right, let's get started. You had
0: talked about
1: on LinkedIn how you created the character of Nitro, which... We're going to link to a couple of those commercials on the episode page for anyone who hasn't seen this. I would encourage you to look at it. It's like Billy Mays meets convenience stores meets uh, REI again. Um, How did you get the idea for this? Like that's really unconventional. It's one of the funnest projects I worked on because it turned into
2: something better than I had originally imagined. Um, When you have a clear vision of a brand element and everybody on the team knows what it's about – they bring their own creative genius to the table, and it and it just makes magic. And so, so who was Nitro? Right, the uh, uh, we were given an assignment. The marketing team was given an assignment to develop a marketing campaign and a brand around a new ACH card that our executives wanted to release into the marketplace. Um, it would be a Maverick uh, proprietary card. You could only use it at Maverick. This was happening at the same time we were going to release our new rewards program format, completely renovated. So we said, well, it's going to have this this ACH card is going to have a link to a rewards account, a Maverick Rewards account. And to incentivize people to use this ACH card, we're going to give them twice the... Uh, points earning or rewards earning. So if you normally get one point, you'd get two points for every dollar spent or whatever, right? So twice the the points uh, of the normal card and three times the fuel discount up to you know, and we'd match any, automatically match any other retail fuel location. So it's basically, we looked at this as, it's our reward card, uh, you know, turbo boosted. So we came with a bunch of different names, and we said, well, we came up with Nitro. Just the name. It's called the Nitro card. Well, to promote the Nitro card, I want to represent, have a character, a personality that would, that we would use on our in-store media, our television commercials, our print ads, our billboards, everything, anything customer-facing that would... Uh, Show the customer that if you use nitro, he's going to make your life so much better. He's going to nitro your rewards, right? And so in this creative brief, I actually, it's interesting. You call it Billy Mays versus REI. Um, I actually had these two personalities. If Bear Grylls and the Dos Equis most interesting guy in the world had a baby, <laughs> I want it to be nitro. Okay, that was the vision I had. That's what I wrote down. I had the two pictures of these character, these, these uh, personalities in my proposal. And uh, um, Aaron Simpson, great guy that was the marketing director at the time, he, uh, the, the uh, VP of marketing at the time, he totally gave me the green light for it. And so I, interv- I, I actually called up a bunch of different uh, talent agencies. And I said, I'm looking for this kind of guy, right? And so they sent me to interview probably three different agencies. I think I visited with maybe 12 to 15, auditioned 12 to 15 different people, and I could not find the right guy. Just some came across as too pretentious. You know, I'm an actor and stuff, and I'm like, man, I need someone who's very down-to-earth, but funny, naturally funny and witty. uh, And so... While I was going through this process, a friend of mine said, dude, um, you need to hire my friend. I'm like, so who who is this guy? His name's Ty. He works as a manager, a night manager for one of your competitive convenience store chains. <laughs> I'm like, he works... So who does he work for? He's like, Holiday Oil. I'm like, he's a night manager and you think I should hire him? I said, what would I hire him for? He goes, I don't know. You just got to gotta talk to him. He's the best guy in the convenience world. So... So he and I and my friend, our mutual friend, had lunch together, and I was smitten by Nitro. But at the time, and I'll send you photos, he had this big brown beard and fuzzy brown hair, and he's got these really, you know, he's got beautiful clear eyes. And I'm like, okay, this guy has some natural charisma, but he's got a crazy look. Okay? So I said, here's the deal. After talking to him for a while, I told him about the project, I go, your first audition is going to be in the uh, beauty salon because I need to make sure you can look the way I need you to look. So I'm going to send you photos before, during, and after photos of uh, the Nitro transformation, okay? So anyway, um, I uh, the the hiring process was a nightmare because one of the things I loved about Ty was that he did... Um, he did things that were off, off the reservation, you know, uh, one of the things he did is he, he created a BMX track in his store created, you know, with, with, uh, uh, so in through the cooler area around through the, in front of the, the, uh, the checkout stand and did a little ramp. And he basically had a pro um, uh, BMX biker come in with some friends and race around his store at night. Wow. And he shot video of this. You know, and That's he used security so footage. And like this is a this is the old school video of the flip phones and stuff. So he shot this video that was hilarious. Well, <laughs> I thought this is perfect for Maverick, right? But our HR VP and oh, legal yeah. counsel was going, No way, dude, we are not gonna hire this guy anymore. The thing that makes him awesome <laughs> is the thing that makes him scary. Mm-hmm. so I think it took us about three months before we we uh, we were able to hire him, but then we discovered, you know, we tried to figure out what his voice was, we knew what his look was going to be, but we discovered his voice um, by doing a bunch of different videos, um, and he then kind of took on this persona, and one of the things I think is really interesting about this is that part of his job, because I actually hired him full-time instead of you know, hire a, when you hire talent, you pay for you pay them for production, and then you pay licensing to the agency for every market you're in, your every DMA you're in. So if we're in 15 DMAs, doing one ad could cost us, you know, ten thousand dollars. And I'm like, uh, if I could hire this guy and we could have him full time, we could produce as much as we want for a fraction of the cost. Of, uh, of using a talent agency. And we'd have him accessible to do in-store visits. Well, he became the best um, corporate ambassador to our front line because he knows what it was like to work in a store. Mm-hmm. He loved Maverick. And so he would go to all these different stores and talk to the employees and kind of boost them up. But the first month, he learned that, okay, he pulls up to a store in his, you know, piece of crap state, you know, a station wagon, or I think it was like a, just a, 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 a typical dated
1: sedan. I remember hearing about this. In the
2: TV commercials, (laughs) he's driving this big, cool truck. It's got nitro written on the side of it. And he's like, well, I live about an hour away from work. So my commute's an hour away. Is it possible for me to use that truck as my daily driver, my commuting vehicle? as long as I visit a store too two on the way home and on the way up. And I'm like, it just seems so out of place for him not to have that truck. I mean, that would, that would have been a disservice to the brand if he would show up in the sedan and people would go, I don't, you must be off, off the clock, right? You're not working right now because you're not driving the truck. Well, he was always working. I mean, everywhere he went, he looked different. He looked like Nitro. He didn't go, you know, put on an outfit. I mean, he wore the 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 Nitro look all day long, seven <laughs> days a week, 365 a year. And uh I remember talking to, to Angela, his uh wife, saying, So what's it like being married to Nitro? He goes, She said, I have to remind him occasionally that his name is Ty, and he he's married and he's a normal dude. <laughs> so <laughs> So anyway, that's the story of Nitro, but he brought so much more magic to the character and he brought so much more value to that position than just being a spokesperson for marketing. He became an ambassador of the brand, especially to the front line. So...
1: Yeah. And I, I love your point where you said the thing that makes it awesome is a thing that makes it scary. I mean, that is so completely unconventional to do something like that. And that's such a huge departure from what a lot of brands would do in the first place. I mean, what, what ended up happening? Was this a big success? Oh, totally. Um, so our
2: goals, so he became, one of the things he did is also became our social media manager because he had a natural knack of knowing what clever things to say and do that got that got engagement with the, the audience the customer uh, that wasn't product driven you know because most honestly, most convenience stores out there, most banks, most businesses, whatever, they're like, hey, follow us on Facebook so I can sell to you every day yeah, and I don't want to read that on Facebook. Nobody yeah. does no one no one wants to see that so uh, but they but they they don't have
1: the creativity to come up with engagement content that is interesting to their audience. See, that's actually that's an in- interesting point too because I feel like a lot of corporate social media when they first got into getting on Twitter and doing whatever, it it was that stale sort of, buyer fountain drinks. I mean, yeah. everyone's got cheap fountain drinks. We all know this. I don't want to get on Twitter to see that. Um, you know, so some of the good ones like Sheets, for example, they're out there playing uh, Rocket League and PUBG with their fans and sending you know m- gigantic uh, esports mouse pads you know, to people, um, they know what they're doing, but then you still see a few that are still talking about their fountain drinks or God forbid, they're trying to just copy someone else and use their personality, which then just comes off as, wait, who are you? What are you doing? Right. You know, one of the things I think about is, um, uh,
2: if, if everybody likes it and everybody's okay with whatever you're doing, then it's not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because like a couple's gift for Christmas if you give a couple's gift, gift to Christmas, one of them is going to hate it. <laughs> okay? Good point. Yeah. One of them is going to love it, another one's going to hate it. So it, it never works. Trying to attract multiple types of people ne- ne- inor- never works because if they both like it, it's not strong, it's not potent. And uh, like Nitro, his the dangerous fac- aspect of his personality. He wasn't a rule follower and stuff like that, was the very thing that made him attractive. And when you do something um, like what Sheets does, as you alluded to, Sheets does these really cool things. Now, I can imagine in a typical boardroom, you'd hear something like this. You know, what's the ROI on those mouse pads? Can we actually attract a a specific amount of business from that person that would give it, you know, now why should we do that? This seems like a ridiculous uh, expense whereas Sheets is going look we can feel it in our bones that this is right but if you've got executives who are um you know bean counters they're going I don't I don't see how it all adds up and so- marketing is not a you know it's not ma- it's not accounting it is it is story it is heart and it, you can't measure love you can't measure heart you know but you, without the heart, you're not going to get the biz.
1: You know now what's your what's your thought on some of these social media accounts though? Where, um, and I got to think of how I'd phrase this, but I mean, I'll, I'll just mention Denny's for example. All right, Denny's is funny on Twitter; they're hilarious. Yeah. But maybe I'm just not their target customer. But I don't feel the need to go eat there after seeing them make jokes. Right. Right. You've got to you've got to deliver on the product or service at per you know first rate.
2: So you may not be someone who likes Denny's food. So you could, they could be as funny as possible. But if you don't like their food, it's not going to attract you. Mm-hmm. If, uh, so they have to deliver on their product and service. And sometimes I get so passionate about brand development that people assume I mean that that's the most important thing. It's not. It's delivering on your brand promise, which is, you know, in Maverick's case, we focus on being fast, friendly, and clean, like every convenience store should. Even if we did a fantastic brand and the brand was totally cool, if we didn't deliver on Fast, Friendly, and Clean, it wouldn't matter.
1: So, Yeah, but that's a really good point, though, because um, so many brands like to say how they're the best. We have the best hotel rooms. We have the best whatever. But if you go there and it looks dated, it's dirty, and it just doesn't match what you're hearing from the brand itself... um, that's that's a problem, and I think that's a huge problem for our industry. I have lost track of the number of times I've had someone tell me, or Hey, our restrooms are clean; they're great. And I'm thinking, man, I've been to your stores. That's just simply not true. And I know you have been to those stores because nobody <laughs> visits more stores than you do, dude. You're like gotta be. You've got to be the hardest working C store dude in the world. <laughs> I mean, but it's and again, I got to think of how I would say this, but there. There's some brands where everyone knows about them because they've read about them in the trade publications, they've seen them on LinkedIn, um and you start to build this idea of what they're doing and who they are and what they're all about that may be completely divorced from reality. But then you step into their store and you're and you're like, "Wait a second. I mean, yeah, yeah this part's really nice, but that bathroom looks like an abandoned building." Um yeah. and I also explore abandoned buildings, I would know this. I'm huh? active in urbex. Um it's it's but that's that's a problem. That's a real problem for yeah. our industry. And I was reading an article, I think Jackson Lewis at CSP wrote it a while back, about the Maverick transformation. It was a really good. And I'm going to link this in the episode page for anyone listening. I would highly recommend reading this. And you pointed out how Maverick, at one point, they had hitching posts for horses. I mean, it was a completely different brand before they it's became. A very cowboy Western, very yeah. cowboy Western brand. Very cowboy Western brand. Why, why did that transformation happen? How did Maverick go from that to what it is now? Because oh, um, I think there's question. a cool story here. That's a really good question. I'm going gonna,
2: I'm gonna to address something that you mentioned, though, before, where a brand is trying to promote something that they're not. And I think the, the brand internally should, should make them stretch and reach, you know? But the marketing and advertising shouldn't go out until they've met that. Like, so a messaging of, hey, hey, come on over. We're the cleanest convenience stores in town. Unless you are, don't say it. Mm -hmm. I would much rather hear an ad that's more, um, a little more vulnerable and candid and say something like, hey, come visit Brand X. We're trying to make our bathrooms cleaner. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, I can appreciate the honesty. So anyway, I like I think brands should aspire and kind of help push them out of their comfort zone, but they shouldn't market or advertise until they've accomplished
1: it. Well, otherwise someone like Al is going to walk in the restroom and start sna- snapping photos and yep. put it online.
2: And then yep. the
0: police yep. come. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so let me,
2: let me tell you about uh, the the Mavericks rebrand. Um, I would, I think, uh, I don't remember how long it was that Maverick was using a cowboy Western theme as part of their brand. Um, but, My whole childhood growing up in the area, in Idaho, Utah, um, all Maverick stores were Maverick country stores. It was, uh, they used brown and orange and white as their key colors. They had uh, Western motifs. Um, You know, in typical Old West design, the scrolling that you would see on a leather belt or on signs and stuff. They used that everywhere. They had language like cooking, heating, eating. Sounds like know, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> oh, it's to- yeah, like, but cow- more cowboy than Cracker Barrel. Wyoming. Okay, and there was a reason for it because um, the founder grew up in Wyoming and he loved. Actually, the he the story goes that he loved James Garner's TV show, The Maverick. Oh, wow, wow! And oh. that's where he got the name Maverick and changed the spelling to be M-A-V-E-R-I-K instead of spelling it the way you're supposed to spell, right? So anyway, um, in 2001, I was running a small creative production studio that I founded in 95. So I'd been doing like illustration and animation and brands, brand stuff for marketing uh, for about six years. And uh, I had a small team. There was eight of us. And uh, one of the, one of the clients that I was doing some work for said, Hey, uh, this uh, guy named Brad call, who is a third generation owner of Maverick, he and his cousins and some family members owned uh, Maverick. And he said, he hates the cowboy brand. He's been, he's been working at Maverick for just a little over a year. Cause he was a lobbyist in Washington. He was an attorney lobbyist in Washington family brought him back to uh to run to help uh, his uh, older brother who is who who was CFO, then became CEO of Maverick so he came back and he's like first thing he's got to go is cowboy so I spent anyway I finally got a meeting with him, and he is the hardest guy to get a hold of okay because he travels the world he um life is so Easy going for him, it seems like that's like, eh, I'll get to that later. I'll get to that later. Right now, I'm having a good time. So that, it's important, but I'll get to it later. So I finally uh, nailed him down. We were introduced, and he was trying to pitch to me this idea of, like, hey, I want it to be different. And the whole meeting, this whole lunch meeting, I'm talking about gunslingers and stuff like that. And he's going, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And so I'm pretty sure that at the end of this, Lunch meeting, he was going, I just wasted, you know, an hour and 10 minutes of my life that I'm never going to get back. This guy obviously wasn't picking up what I was putting down. And I left going, I think I finally figured out what he's saying. And um, so I basically, we left it at, I'm going to come up with a proposal for you, uh, like an idea, and um, we'll see if that is in the right, the right direction. So Maverick was a huge company for us. I mean, huge company for us. And the opportunity to, to uh, work with Maverick was something that any agency in the state would just drool over, right? So we, would, we invested a ton of time and effort doing research, brainstorm development and stuff to pitch an idea to Maverick. And one of the things we discovered doing some just very casual research was we, we would visit with um, uh, people at convenience stores, and at Maverick stores and say, what do you like about convenience stores? Most of them said, we hate going to a convenience store. The only time we ever got like some positive reaction or the most frequent topic that came up with positive reaction was, I like going to a Maverick store or a convenience store when I'm going on an adventure. You know, stores nearby... Hunting, skiing, fishing, rock climbing, snowboarding, you know, river rafting. What we've got a gazillion things to do in our backyard. And people loved giving themselves permission to go to a convenience store, fill up on fuel, and then get the goodies and snacks and drinks and beer that they wanted for their adventure. And they they created this associate a positive association with adventure to a convenience store experience. Oh wow. So we're We're viewing some of these data points. Now, it's not like 100% of the people said this, but we're looking, we're mining for things that we might find that are distinct in the marketplace, you know, or these customers say, and I thought, well, a lot of customers said, oh, we think it's clean. And we're going, can we create a brand on clean? Can we create a personality on clean? And we were like, nobody was excited about that. Okay. (laughs) We're like, oh, we can't do this. And then one of the guys it wasn't my idea, I wish it was, but one of the guys said, you know, what, what if we, what if we made it so that Maverick was the place where people go on their way to an adventure and we would treat everybody who comes into the store as if they were going on an adventure. So we're like, oh, this is a cool idea. We storyboarded this, this, uh, some TV commercials where the adventure guide, well, we, we came up with the term adventure guide, Mm -hmm. the clerk. Um, is one of those clairvoyant. Uh, if you go into a fishing, uh, like bait and tackle shop, the, the the that guy behind the counter can size you up and go, "Hmm, I can tell what he's doing, and he, I know exactly what he needs." So you give those like, so you uh, you heading south to the uh, the shoreline. Well, you're going to be fishing for this, and you're going to need some of these. Mm. So we came with this idea of. People are going to come in on normal life, lifestyle uh, experience, uh, you know, coming in with going to some normal thing that they do. And this clerk is going to go, I know exactly what you need. And I'm going to hook you up with this adventure. Um, we knew we had to kind of create a theme inside, but originally it wasn't nearly as cool as what it is today with a 360 degree panoramic illustration of adventure land. We didn't have that. Um, so we came with this idea of like Maverick is the place where people go on their way to an adventure. And we came with the tagline Maverick adventures first stop. And we had like billboards and storyboards and stuff with different advertising campaigns, um, or for an advertising campaign. And we got a meeting after about three months again with Brad, but not just Brad. It was the whole executive team. Oh wow! So I I don't usually present to the whole executive team. It's like the HR guy and the 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 VP of uh, finance. They they don't need to know this stuff. So they're all in this board meeting. I was nervous as heck. I think I was like, let's see, I was, let's see, two thousand one, thirty one years old. <laughs> I was thirty one years old, just green a greenhorn pitching this huge multi million dollar business, and. uh we we sh- showed everything to them, and every single one of them was like, this is awesome. That's never happened before. Oh, <laughs> or since. What a dream. You know? Yeah, and they're like, we love this. And I think the reason that was so good is that we happened to be lucky enough to have uh, identified a truism. And that truism became how we articulated that in our core belief, which is, we believe adventure elevates life, that no matter who you are or where you are or your, whatever situation you're in, adventure makes life better mm-hmm. and I think that was like so they they totally reg uh it resonated with them, and so um it it landed itself to a lot of visual and verbal language things that you would associate with adventure, you know like there are textures and colors and patterns and materials like wood and you know, distress wood or even carbon fiber for materials, anodized aluminum for those cool bottles and stuff. There's so much language and terminology that you could bring to the table. And now when you talk about gas, nachos, convenience store stuff, loyalty programs, you use the vocabulary, the visual and verbal vocabulary that strengthens the brand to bear in that message. And now... Your loyalty program looks completely different and sounds completely different from your competitors because you're you're the Adventure Club mm. and you earn trail points. <laughs> you know, not you're a loyalty club with brand X and you get points. That's more it lacks personality. And I think that's why branding is so important that it creates a
1: personality for the organization.
2: But that's the story of how Maverick became adventurous.
1: See, I love everything I love about that. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's I and and what's so cool about this too is the idea of adventures first stop. It's such a sticky concept. Like it makes sense. Um I think sometimes brands take some sort of esoteric, almost abstract concept that sounds great at the corporate level, but to the average customer, you're like, What are you talking about? I don't
0: care about that. Yeah. But adventures and, and first yeah. stop. Want a feel. Everybody wants to feel like an adventurer. I mean, yes. even if you're Even if you're, you're going to work, and, and and you stop there, and and you feel like, well, you know, my, I'll have an adventure at work, and I'm a I'm a swashbuckler. <laughs> right. You know, that's right. I love that's that. Exactly right. I think it starts out the day right. Exactly. You're swashbuckling your way to noon. So we we kind of we were lucky,
2: you know, to discover that. Um, but I've learned that it seems like. You know, every every organization has something authentic in their brand already that is either lost or buried under years and years and layers of campaigns and corporate speak and, you know, initiatives and things like that. But uh, I, I found I've got this knack for digging in deep to find out what that little nugget of brand truth is, kind of brush it off and go, I, th- I think
1: this is who you guys are. And they're like, that's totally
2: us. That is us.
1: <laughs> so I'm actually really curious for your thought on something. Um yes. what you're talking about right now is something I think department stores are struggling with a little bit. Um now granted they always seem to you know, they're beholden to quarterly earnings reports and they gotta turn everything around very quickly, but But man, you know, these companies have so much history, but they're just soulless when you go there. It feels like stepping in a time machine and going 30 years in the past uh, and getting 30 years of a deteriorated customer experience at that. Um, I mean, like how, whether it's a department store, whether it's a convenience store, like how, how can brands kind of start that journey? Um, Is it, do they just need to do it or is it just that they're afraid to even start?
2: That's a fantastic question because, um, I would say most organizations approach branding graphically or gimmically. Mm-hmm. What I mean by graphically is like, let's create a logo and get some colors and a design package together that doesn't look like our competitors, okay? Or they go, you know what? We need to get some attention. What can we do that's kind of a gimmick? What's our shtick? What's our thing that we can be known for, Right. And so they create something, they invent something that's not authentic to them, but they invent something and they go, okay, this is going to be our shtick. You know, Maverick has the adventure shtick. Let's do space shtick. Let's do a space thing, right? People love space. And so the way I advise people to uh, discover their brand is to uh, discover what they are, like the, uh, the founder... Or the executive team, senior leaders in the organization, what are they passionate about in a common way? Uh, you know, what are they commonly passionate about? For example, convenience stores. A lot of your audiences are convenience store people. I was thinking about, uh, um, like, why was why was Maverick's adventure brand so powerful and so popular, right? And I thought, is it just because inherently Maverick, or, uh, adventure is really cool? And I thought, well... What would happen if I were to go into an organization, interview the, which is what I typically do, interview the executive team, founder, you know, maybe the founder's retired. I want to talk to that founder because he had a reason to start the business in the first place. Maybe some senior level employees. And I I discover that they all love golf. They are like bonkers about golf. They can't wait for Saturday to play golf. And as soon as they get off work, they're golfing, right? What if we found this like common passion for golf and they're, they own six convenience stores. Okay. You know, that's probably an average, you know, some people only have one or two. Some organizations have maybe 20, let's say five or six. Yet they compete with the Sinclairs or the, uh, the Texacos, the Philip 66s, um, that are the the only thing that make them branded is the sign out front, right? The products and services they offer are nearly identical. You couldn't tell the difference. And if you kind of woke up inside one of these stores, you'd have to look around to see if you can find a logo to determine where you are, right? Now, imagine if the this organization, they love golf. And I said, well, uh, golf has visual and verbal language that is unique to golf, right? Like, Hole in one, greens, rough, fairway, um, you know, driver, putter. uh, They also have visual things like green, holes, flag, um, you know, uh, uh, those hole markers, tee markers, they have tees, they have golf balls, they have clubs. They have all this visual and verbal tools at our disposal to create a golfer paradise brand. So when you go in to pick up your coffee and you love golf, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I just came to paradise. Died and gone to heaven. If you hate golf, but you like a clean experience with friendly people, and you execute on that, then it'll still work. Because it's like, this is an appealing environment, it's unique, it's distinctive, and it's clean, fast, and friendly. So you can really pull a brand out of anything that is... um, that can be potent, you know that has a strong visual and verbal language, otherwise, like i I did a a a, set, a a presentation once and I thought, I'm gonna try clean as a brand. Did you ever see that presentation? I actually didn't see that one. Huh. Okay. where where was this at? So Nax
1: mm-hmm. at Na- at the National Association of convenience stores. I think we spoke at the same time one time. So we I was trying to did. make sure I could fill, fill my room and not have everyone go over to yours, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I came up with this thing. I, I said uh,
2: to the, the audience, the attendees said, if you're f- focusing on fast, branding and clean, the way I think it would work would be sit down with the, the key brand players. They all say, you know what? We want to be the cleanest convenience store on the planet. We don't want to just say we are, we want, we are OCD clean. Okay. I go, all right, can we make a brand about clean? And so I thought, well, Bubba's convenience store, we're all about clean. I go, well, the first thing I'd do is I'd probably change the name. What if we called it sparkles convenience? And we came up with a tagline that said, so clean, we'll make you sparkle. (laughs) <laughs> and then we have like, okay, interior design. What would I do interior to create that sparkly thing? And I'd ask the people, ask the attendees, if you're, if you're trying to develop a clean brand,
1: what colors would you use? What would you say? I mean, I'd like some tile that has some glitter to it. Like maybe yep. some, some, uh, reflective rainbow tile, something that okay. just feels magical, you know, sparkle, hey, it sounds,
2: it sounds, what would you, okay. White. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. The sparkle would if you do if you had everything white, it could look like a sterile lab, right? But and that's white what I'm is, thinking I worked at a hospital and everything, yeah. everything was white that was clean. So so another thing is like stainless steel, mm-hmm. right? Is clean. But you could also accent things with a very light gray and a tiny strip of blue or green to freshen it up and give it some color. Okay? If so you would and now a light blue wall, say there's the light blue wall, and you embed LED lights yes, in the wall yes. in different places and they just shine. Bing, bing,
1: bing, bing. Well, Al, we were at uh Eddie World out in California and yeah. right outside of their building they had wi- it looks like they wired up uh, kind of fiber optics and made them sparkle like all wow. over the roof. You know See, that would be awesome. Yeah. It, felt, for, it
2: felt like, like a, a clean magic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely.
2: Uh so, it was so when cool. You, you but basically what I'm saying is that once you determine there's something that you're very passionate about, I mean, authentically passionate about, that you can get behind, you can probably create a brand around that. But you have to do it all out. And it has to be, and it's going to be so all out, it's scary. Hmm. Like Nitro, right? The way Sheets does it, it's all all out. And if you're not all out, then it's going to be like, oh, it's the kind of clean place. They say they're clean, but I don't know. They used orange outfits, you know, because they got them on sale.
1: (laughs) Well, see, this is a really good point, though, because I know we've all three seen this, but you go into a store where, I don't know, they'll put a sign in there that says, we have a commitment to clean restrooms or whatever it is. You know, there's so many brands that have it. Some actually do mean that. Um, I mean, man, if you go into a quick trip, a KT, that's going to be a clean restroom. It's just guaranteed. Uh, they've been really great about that. But, um, but there are some other brands that actually don't live up to that. And it just, I don't know, like you really do have to go all in. And I I think restroom design is so interesting because there's, there's like, there's blinders that people have about This is what a commercial restroom looks like because this is what a commercial restroom has always looked like. We got to take the flimsy dividers. We got to, you know, just do kind of the sterile design, um, make it look just basic. Um, But then you go to something like the Greater Chicago I-55 Truck Plaza I went to uh, about a week ago. The women's restrooms look like a nightclub.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I, would,
1: I would encourage everyone to Google this. I shared some photos on LinkedIn a second ago. These are probably the fanciest restrooms I think I've ever seen at a convenience store. I mean, they have like rotating color lights at the top. Uh, they have like sparkly tile. Uh, and then the men's restroom looks just more like a men's restroom, but it's also very fancy. But it's like if you want to be the clean place, like you're right, this has you have to fundamentally change what a restroom looks like in a convenience store.
2: You have to be all in and fully best invested in it. So I, what a lot of, I think, executive teams, owners or whatever, they think, here's, here's how they approach branding. Mm-hmm. Our customer wants this X, so let's tell them that we have that, <laughs> but not actually execute on it, right? Because yeah. they think, well, you know what? It, we're a convenience store. The bar is low. So all we have to do is do an okay job. Right? But when, when you truly believe it and you're willing to put money, that's the, that's the key, by the way, yeah. money and time behind this. You want to be the cleanest restrooms? Guess what your procedural handbook is going to look like? Guess how many employees you've got to hire to make sure that you will always have someone clean? Bucky's, I think they have a 24 hour attendant in the bathrooms, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's all they do. So are they committed with, for clean bathrooms to have clean bathrooms? Absolutely. And why? Because they put money and time around policies and procedures that guarantee that Mm -hmm. it's not, Hey, we hope to do it. And it's one more thing on your list of things to do, Mr. Employee, because we've told them that we'll always be in stock. We'll always be clean. We'll always have this, but only we're only going to have one person to do that. Well, it's impossible.
1: You know, something I find interesting about them though, um, you know, Everyone right now is talking about, oh, we gotta have a loyalty program. We gotta get a card in someone's pocket. And there's some that are really good. Like if we go to Sephora, um, you don't have to ask my wife if she has their program. She's going to make sure she gets every single point. That she spends because she sees a value in it. But I go into a Bucky's, they're not trying to sell you on a rewards program. No. I mean, they sell me on stuff like this. I've yeah. got literally Bucky's coasters on my desk right now. <laughs> right, right. Uh it's like twelve dollars. It's cheaper than you would have thought it would have been. I mean, we've got blankets, we've got everything. It's but you know, What they try to do, they actually follow through. Those stores will look brand new 10 years later. The employees have great customer service. Uh, I was there with my wife one time. We're waiting for a fish taco, and she ordered, I think, a chicken Caesar wrap. I know Al likes those. Um, I love those. They're so good. And, you know, it was busy. It was lunchtime. I'm fine waiting a little bit. I mean, that place had probably 700 people inside the store, and— one of the white shirts comes over, you know, so, you know, he's a manager and he just says, Hey, uh, are you guys the ones with the fish taco? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Oh, well, Hey, just heads up. We're super busy. As you can see. So sorry about the wait. He's like, um, can I get you some beef jerky or something while you're waiting? And I'm like, yeah, uh, now Absolutely. you're talking. So a Red Bull, please. Wow. So I go over and I'm like, you know there's like 30 beef jerkies and I'm thinking, well what do you like? Uh, and he's like, "Well, do you like sweet? Do you like spicy?" I'm like I love spicy. And He goes, "All right, I got I got what what you need." Hands over a ra- rather large piece of this, not like a tiny little nibble, but like that's 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 real customer service. And they say they're going to have the friendliest employees. They say they're going to have the cleanest restrooms, but they follow through to an insane degree.
2: Yeah. Well, they've chosen they've chosen what to be great at. And you know, like Bucky's they don't have to have a loyalty program. Um, Apple, their loyalty program, I don't have a punch card, by the way, for the number of Apple products I've got because they don't offer them. Their loyalty program is their execution. And it's, it um, it's kind of sickening to me, to be honest with you, to see it's kind of like a, um, our industry wants to find best practices. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is do them all. So you go to a next conference and you go, oh, um, these guys are doing this. So let's try that. Let's, oh, these guys are doing that. Let's try that. And what they do is they try to borrow strategies from somebody else instead of what would our brand do? Mm-hmm. Not what, what everybody else is doing, but what would our brand do? I've talked to one of my clients said their strategy full on was don't you don't you don't need to research what everybody else is doing just copy what they're doing oh yeah that was and i said that the problem with that is that you end up having so many different things like for example delivery services that's a hot topic right electrical fueling stations fueling stations that's a hot topic uh you've got uh you know loyalty programs loyalty apps you know do you do just the old punch card version of loyalty program. Well I've gotta do it all. And the, the truth is you don't have to do it all, especially if you're like a one like I feel bad for these guys these onesie twosie um operators mm. that mm. they feel they are they're at a disadvantage because they don't have the volume that their competitors that
1: their competitors have. I mean and
2: they have your... the opportunity to do something special because nobody else is gonna tell them they can't.
1: Yeah. That's, that's so true. And, you know, like a good example, um, Al College junction mud bugs. Um, you know, we went there on our 2018 road trip. I mean, this is a guy who had some competitors move up. in, you say mudbugs, college junction mud bugs. It's in Eunice, Louisiana. Um, I, I mean, I probably took a year off my life eating there, but oh, it was, yeah. it, it was worth every bite and I'm willing to make that sacrifice. Um, this is seriously some of the best food I think I've ever had anywhere. And it's not the fanciest convenience store. He doesn't have some super advanced loyalty program, but I know that that guy has the best food. And to your point, you know, these these independent guys, they don't have to worry about scaling a quick service restaurant model across 500 locations. Yep. They they can do something that isn't scalable, that's unique that has grandma's recipe that those guys are never going to do. And the large guys have to
2: compromise on everything quality more more than anything. They have to compromise on quality because, well, we have to get the same thing in 600 stores, which means it has to be pre-baked and it needs to be just kind of warmed up at the end, or it has to be pre-cooked in every way. So we just kind of steam it up or warm it up. Or these small operators they can start from scratch and make the most delicious products ever that, that other convenience stores could not hold a candle to. And yet, here's what they're doing, though. They're going, well, uh, chicken sandwiches are really, really popular, and so we got to make sure that we have a chicken sandwich. So let's go to the chicken sandwich supplier, and, and I'm like, dude, if you're like m- mud bugs, obviously they're into
0: like crayfish. And shrimp right. or something, right? And, so and everything deep fried. Uh, and everything's deep fried, deep fried. <laughs> here in Louisiana. We deep fry everything. I love it. A couple old dudes that are like, yeah. Well, well you know, me and my son. To, to your point, yeah. Uh, I interviewed a lady up in uh, up in rural Pennsylvania, and uh, uh they uh, a big chain convenience store was going to locate right down the road from her. And I asked her. I said, "How do you feel about this?" She said. Well, they're going to be, you know, full of LED lights, really cool, really neat. But she said, they can't touch me. She said, you can't do anything in this town without coming to my store. Yeah. If you want to know what's going on here, you're going to come here. I'm I'm the post office. I'm uh, where you drop off UPS. I'm Western Union. Uh, and I've got great food. And people just hang out here and talk. And, uh, boy, you know, I thought, man, that is so true because I've seen it all over America. She's, she's you know... Uh, I guess that would be her brand. I mean, it is, she's
2: in fact, it is her brand. That her personality, the founders often are the ones that have a brand that's inherent to them. Yeah. But the one of the biggest challenges that these single operators have, these small business operators have, is that they don't realize how much of the brand is in here. Right. And they need boy, to figure out boy. a way to go. How do I represent this and train people to use this brand or to to, to present this brand? Because they think it's natural. It's like, well, I just walk in, and I just, I'm just me. It's like, well, you're magic, and you don't even know it.
0: Now, I travel yeah. to a lot of small places, uh, and, and Frank Frank visits big ones, and, and you know, I think that's kind of fun about what we do. And I have gone into a a handful of the big chain stores early in the morning, you know, look around, and then I go to the the little store that's uh, not real slick looking, and I go in and I find the mayor, uh, the sheriff. Uh, people from the city council, yeah. all the all the powers that be, sitting around a table in a gas station, having coffee and biscuits, yeah. and and when you talk to the owner, oh, they're here every day, they're here every day, and and you know, wow, there's this great looking, uh, big, huge station uh, down the road, not very far, and and yet the 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 if they blew up this little gas station, the whole town would be without uh, leadership. Yeah. It's it's so funny. They become
2: Uh, uh, anchors in the community, hubs in the community. Absolutely. And, uh, but it it is a little frustrating when I, when I talk to them, they'll often just, just share their frustration that they don't have what they have. And if they only knew how desperately large organization wanted the intimacy and flexibility and quality that they could provide, uh, they would appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah.
1: You know, one I think you would really like, Ernie, is Papu's Cafe in Kansas City. Um, there's kind of a cool branding story there because, Al, I, I think you've written about him, too. I did.
0: I love that guy.
1: Um, so Khalid, I think Khalid Sarande, I believe is how he pronounce it. I am hope he doesn't listen. I'm probably messing that up. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Um, so he came from Pakistan, studied art. I believe it's art history in Kansas City. Um, ended up thrown in a bid on this station that he worked at and got it. And only problem is he wanted to be a restaurant owner, not a convenience store operator. Uh-huh. Couldn't get a loan to do a restaurant. But he grew up in Pakistan, where said his father, and they valued quality food to such an extreme degree that if he or his mom made something and it wasn't up to their, his father's standards, he'd say, make it again. Not because he was mean, but because they just valued high quality food right. to that degree. Right. So well, he learned that. to be, he's one of those chefs that doesn't even feel the need to brag because he's so good and he knows he's the best. Mm-hmm. So you go in a store, Papu's Cafe. He said, he ended up realizing I could move around some fridges. I could put some kitchen equipment in here. I can make a restaurant in this gas station. And that's what he did. Um, what's cool about the name and the logo and everything is he said when he was young in Pakistan, he said Papu meant a uh, little boy, but he found out that in Greek um, it meant old man, yeah. I believe is the story. So in a way he kind of found the right name for it, called it Papu's cafe. He does Mediterranean food. Um, but you, you just walk in and you feel the soul in that place. It's, and and it's, I, some people I know in Kansas City, I, I used to live there myself. Uh, they swear by it, say it's the best place for Mediterranean food in the entire city. I had to park three blocks away when I visited. Yeah. I, I you know, but that's, that's his brand. I, yeah. I mean, his, himself, his story, uh, his passion for food, and you can feel it when you go there.
2: So, so organizations like that, if I were to uh, consult with them, I'd say, let's document that. Let's define it and document it. And articulate it in such a way using, uh, you know, what kind of images would we use to represent that? What kind of vocabulary would we use? Are there specific words that we want to use over and over again in these messages to to uh, to magnify and focus that distinctive br- brand? Right. So it's unless you document it, unless you define it in a way that other people can go, oh this is what it means, and this is how I execute on this brand, it will die when that person retires or sells or you know moves on. Because then the next person is going to come in and say, well, it's my business now, not knowing or fully appreciating that the reason it's been kicking butt is because of the other guy. And so the second guy comes up, like second generation person, he has to come in and say, this is successful because of what... The, the previous owners did. And my job is to preserve and magnify that personality and message so good that people go, man, you've taken to the next level of what was awesome, not you've taken a different direction.
0: Absolutely.
1: So one thing I'm curious for your opinion on too is for a company that has done some of the right things and they're starting to build a good brand, it, it always seems to me like there there is somewhere a tipping point between yeah, I like this place and I generally visit that if I could. Mm-hmm. And then something like Bucky's, which is, oh, they're 30 miles away. All right, I'm going to be late because I'm going there right now. You, you know, there's, there's a difference between just a good brand and one that one visit converts you into an actual fanatic about the brand, uh, like Bucky's is able to do with people. Where, where is that tipping point?
2: I, I, I'm, I call it focus because you can't do everything, but you can do a few things exceptionally well. And so, um, the, uh, if you can focus on, well, oh, one of the things I was trying to help one of my clients at one point in time, early in my career, define what it is that makes them special. And I tell you what, we could not dis- I couldn't discover it. I was, it was like pulling teeth. And so I basically said, okay, what do you want to be known for? Or better yet, when someone leaves your store, what do you want them to say? Do you want them to say? well, that was uncomfortable. <laughs> or would you want them to say, that was probably one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Or do you want to say, you know what, that was fancy. Or that was, uh, that was sophisticated. Th- that, was, that was delicious. You know, whatever that is, you go, okay. That becomes the, the magnifying glass, the lens, through which we execute everything. I like Every, that. Like uh, in yeah. Disney, they call it everything talks. Or everything has a voice. So when you go to Disneyland, I, I went to, uh, you're going to ask Love me Disney, uh, one of my favorite brands, like the, the uh, Galaxy's Edge experience at the Disneyland Anaheim, holy crap. Everything speaks to the Star Wars lens. Everything. The garbage cans look like they're from Star Wars. The guys that are emptying the garbage cans look like they're from Star Wars. The road, everything looks as if it has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years in a galaxy far, far away, a long, long time ago, and and ev- so everything that they they didn't take any shortcuts, and that's what great brands don't take shortcuts. They don't make excuses. They don't they don't uh, uh, say this is insignificant. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is that because everything talks. People who don't appreciate branding will say, well, you know what? We can squish the logo because the existing sign shape is like this. And mm-hmm. our logo is like this. So just squish the logo to fit the sign. Well, we don't have that color. So let's just use a different color. Or um, no one's going to notice that. So let's not, let's not do garbage cans that use our colors. Or use our brand elements. And what ends up happening is, after repeatedly compromising on your brand, the customer now goes, I have no idea who you are, what you are, because you haven't kept with the story.
1: Well, see, you know, Walt Walt really understood the value of immersion, too. You know, when yeah. you're in a Disney park, you are immersed in a magical place. If you look at uh, why you don't see any buildings outside of the park in Anaheim, it's because they lobbied hard and put you know, height restrictions in place because the last thing Walt wanted is for you to be there and then look up and see a Hyatt logo right. staring down into the park because they realize they can sell a more expensive room if they can look down into Disney. Yeah. Um, so they put the stop on that immediately. And well, it's true when you're there. You
2: something to think about. I'm, I'm sorry to, to to interrupt you, but you bring up such a good point. 99.9% of the people would never know that that was an issue. Mm-hmm. They don't they would never say the reason I like Disneyland is because I can't see anything outside of the park. Yet that is a critical element and a highly defensible and where where money and and effort and time has been spent on that to preserve it even though customers
1: wouldn't be able to tell you that that is one of the reasons why they love you. So you bring up something I'm really passionate about here is, well, first off theme parks. I love theme parks. I was a kid who had the roller coaster (laughs) tapes on VHS and the 3D glasses watching rides on them. And I knew every best coaster in the world. Uh, but here's the thing. You don't go to Disney because you want the biggest and baddest rides. You go to Cedar Point because you want the biggest and baddest rides. Um, you would even go to SeaWorld Orlando, uh, who is – can they have some great B&M coasters. Like, they're, they're legit. But some of those parks, you're looking into a parking lot when you're on the roller coaster. You're looking at chain link fencing. And that's okay because you're going for – the highest budget roller coasters on the planet. You go to Disney because it is a, literally feels like a magical place. Yep. That's why you go to Disney. Um, you know, so we were, we were there last year, my wife and I, uh, I went to speak at Natsos conference and it was at the Disney yacht club. So I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. Cause like, we've yeah, gone to Anaheim, but we hadn't you know really done the Florida park. And, so, of course, we want to go get our you know first visit buttons. We had just got engaged, so we wanted the just engage buttons. And they don't break that, that facade at any point. You can walk into a convenience store in one of the resorts, and the person running the cash register acts like they're a Disney brand ambassador. Oh, congratulations on your engagement. They say things like that. We went to eat at the uh, uh, Tony's, the Italian restaurant that's like on the square. Um, and we got there From right Lady when the they Tramp? opened it up. Yeah, they have the dapper dan's come in and sing the song from Lady and the Tramp. Uh it feels magical. Your waitress comes over and calls you prince and princess. Like they consider every minor detail of every interaction you have the moment you step on their property yeah. and they don't break they don't break that that wall ever.
2: The the important thing to note too about that is that they are they are catering catering to a customer that appreciates it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now cuz You could have executives that say, hey, look, a lot of people don't care about that stuff. Right. They're not our customer. Oh, oh. Well, in the convenience store world, everybody's our customer. Well, you could say the same thing about Disneyland. You could say the same thing about Nike, any brand. Well, we would love, like, uh, Lamborghini would love to have everybody buying their car. But they don't make a budget you know, under $20,000 vehicle because they know who their customer is and they're okay with that. So if you know who your customer is and you know what you want them to experience, then you can shape and craft an experience around that, um, that, that goal, that objective,
1: you know, and kind of on that point about immersion too, I, you, you were mentioning cutting corners on the store and I, I know we always come back to restrooms on this, but it amazes me the number of stores I go to where they've considered so many aspects of the customer experience. And then they just, the restroom looks <laughs> like, I mean, it, it just, just breaks the experience. You go in, it's dirty, yeah. it's outdated. And, and it's like, you do have to consider everything. I mean, because your, your brand is a restroom. Your brand is, if you're trying to be a modern brand and you've got old almond colored gondolas in there that look like they came out of your local Sears, um, you know, well, that's, that's your brand too. It's, It's all encompassing. You have to, whatever you're trying to do, keep that immersion up and make them feel like when you're there, you're really there.
2: Yeah. So there's, there's for those those organizations, those uh, C-stores that execute really, really well on that, um, what I'm saying is everybody has an opportunity to excel at that. Mm -hmm. It's not like they have a valid excuse and say, hey, look, we just can't. We can't employ the right people. We can't, and this is what you get. Uh, We can't employ people who are willing to clean the bathrooms. Well, we can't employ, you know, our training um, needs help, right? Let me tell you, if you're fanatical about clean, your first hiring question needs to be, let's go take a look at your car. Oh, wow. (laughs) Love that. You know? It's like... If, if their car is pristine, you go, interview is over. You got the job. Because that is what we care about. You know? But most of the time we go, well, we don't really, we don't fully appreciate or care deeply about our brand promise. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to pound it into the hearts and minds of employees who don't care. Why don't we just hire the right people? Because If you know what your
1: brand is all about, you can filter a lens through which you can hire employees.
2: That's why branding is so
1: important. You know, that brings up an interesting topic, though. Like, Al, when we were talking with Anthony Perini on one of our past episodes, he mm-hmm. brought up when he got into the family business, uh, I mean, they'd take anyone that had retail experience, but then sometimes you realize it's garbage in, garbage out. You're not right. getting the right person. And they talked about how they go to local high schools and try to hire on, on the right type of personality. And he said, I don't care if they've worked in a retail environment before. If they're the right personality, we're hiring them. Yeah, you know. Oh, it, yeah. But I think it's so easy to just – once you start adding on the bureaucracy and you start growing, it's easy to create a a system internally that doesn't necessarily produce the results you're looking for. I and it sounds simple, but that really hurts a lot of organizations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, someone someone shows up and maybe Maybe they're on, they dropped out of college or something that they're, they're, you know, they need a job and, uh, well, I'm not going to hire you even though you're way overqualified for this. And for some reason you want to work here, but let's hire this person who's worked at 20 different convenience stores and hasn't stayed at any of them because they have retail experience. Right. Um, right. I mean, maybe so, that's the right decision. Cutting,
2: maybe it's uh, me. That's, that's the cutting corner stuff. You mm-hmm. cut corners with, um, investing in hours for employees, you cut corners with, Screening potential employees, you cut corners with the image or the experience inside the store. Um, sometimes you can cut corners and you don't even know it in your marketing and advertising strategies. Like for example, one of my favorite ones is, um, and I'll use Maverick as an example. Um, everybody drives a car, right? So it means everybody drives uh, needs fuel, and which means everybody's our customer. Mm-hmm. In one point, right? In one perspective. So uh, one of the things that uh, I uh, I didn't agree with our, our executive team on uh, was the strategy to accept a donation in behalf of a, a the ownership of Maverick was donating like $50,000 or something like that to the Utah Symphony. Okay. They said, hey, look, we're, we're struggling with getting this type of customer into our store. So let's, let's do this donation in behalf of Maverick so that we can generate goodwill to this customer time. I can, I can see the sense in it or the strategy. But the problem is it doesn't work very well on a variety of different levels. The first level is... So, so from, the, from the surface, you go, great idea, let's execute. okay, But if you don't look at that tactic through the brand lens... You go, is this, for Maverick, is this adventurous? Does it have an adventurous feel? Does it have... Now, if, if they were going to be doing a special... The Symphony was doing a special um, production of Indiana Jones or <laughs> something like that. Oh, oh, then maybe, right? Then there's like, ah, uh, that could be. But if it's just The Symphony and it's like for the season and it's not fitting through that lens what's going to happen is the people who typically shop at chevron those people stop at, stop at chevron it's a premium product they're health conscious um, it doesn't it's not our current customer so we could spend money trying to attract a customer that doesn't buy much from us anyway but we also alienate any of our current customers that see that they go wait a second what that's they could have sponsored something, you know, like the the bass fishing tour or the rodeo or the mountain biking thing or whatever. But they chose that? Oh. Then I I've, I've lost a little bit of love for the organization because they they seem to be confused.
1: Makes us Yeah, that would make it seem like leadership's yeah. disconnected from the customer.
2: Yeah. Even though I understand the strategy, let's appeal to a broader group. Great idea, but the the execution of it is super super challenging. Uh, there's a, I call it the law of transference. Mm-hmm. When two objects come together, one rubs off on the other, and the other rubs off on the one, right? So if Maverick and Red Bull get together, Red Bull rubs off on Maverick, and, and Maverick's like, Right on! This is awesome! Maverick rubs off on Red Bull, and Red Bull's like, Cool! Maverick is a cool company, right? But if Maverick sponsors the What Women Want show where they sell scrapbooking and handmade jewelry and things like that, uh, that's a great audience to go after. Women. Yep. Awesome audience. But that environment and that personality of that, uh, that show, that event isn't in line with Maverick. So one would rub off on the other. The better thing to do would be to promote or sponsor a women's mountain biking event, you know, or women's motor, motocross or something that's more in line with Maverick's Adventure Lens.
1: Well, see, I think you're starting to touch yeah. on something, too, that um, I know Al and I have talked about this, and it's it's tough to put into words, but let me see if I can do this here. Um, if you go to the corporate offices for some of the convenience store brands, you might have, uh, you could be mistaken for thinking you walked into an investment bank or into a um an insurance company you have people wearing dark suits you have um Mm -hmm. you know it's that kind of an environment but then you go into the convenience store and it's completely different uh so when you're sometimes i really do feel like there's a tremendous disconnect between what is it like on the day-to-day operations of an average store Mm -hmm. and where are the people running the companies and you know it's it's it sometimes happens um Are,
0: are, are they going there for lunch
1: yeah, Are the I, guys in the suits going there for lunch? Which is which is fine. I like wearing a good suit, so I'm not going to complain about that. But I think you need to always just make sure that you're spending time in your stores and you're aware of oh, the absolutely. day-to-day reality. Like sit down on the toilet. Are you comfortable with that? Yes. Well, if you're not, guess what? No one else is. Your right. customers aren't. Right. Eat eat the food. Can you assemble a lunch? Can you assemble a breakfast? But I think it's easy to stay disconnected, to stay in your 9 to 5, your 10 to 6, whatever, pay for a mystery shop and think that you know what's going on at the store level. And well, uh, if, if the leaders, if the, if the uh, corporate office isn't drinking the brand Kool-Aid,
2: how can they possibly expect anybody on the front line to be drinking the Kool-Aid? Mm-hmm. I remember, so about two years into working, so I, I worked on Maverick's brand when I wasn't employed by Maverick. So 2001, I, was, I had my own thing. Now, 10 years later, I accepted a full-time position at Maverick. That 10 years, I was working on the brand and doing marketing and advertising development for Maverick, okay? But they had a very small marketing department inside uh, at Maverick. Well, when I got hired, one of the things I learned right away was going into the, um, uh, the corporate office or Maverick headquarters was khaki pants, button-up shirts, kind of golf shirts. It looked like an investment company. Company or a law firm or something like that, and I thought there was nothing in the uh, environment to suggest it was Adventures First Stop, and so I actually approached the executive team and I said, "Guys, um, we are the coolest brand, or I want to be the coolest brand on the planet." They said, "Yeah, but we're professionals in here, <laughs> so we have to we have to be professional <laughs> in here because we're working with clients and." We're working with uh, uh, providers and other professionals. And I said, let me ask you this. If somebody from Pepsi or if some, a, a, a bank came in here and they saw that you guys were wearing something adventurous, would they say you're not professional? Or would they say you guys have a strong brand? And I, that brings me greater confidence in your ability to operate as a business. So I put out I proposed this whole new dress code. I called it Adventure Professional. And it was basically anything clean and neat that you could wear on an adventure. I like that. So yeah, it was like cool. what we end up seeing right away was oh, we could wear shorts, we could wear jeans, we could wear but we were people were starting to express their inner adventure in the in the office, uh, in the office attire. And then that led to interior design, like wallpaper and stuff like that, So and signage and stuff. So when you walked in, we basically said, when a, when, a, when a vendor or a partner leaves Maverick, they need to say, they are Adventure's first stop. Not, hey, what a very sharp organization that's running a fantastically profitable uh, business. Like, no. That's, see, see, that's interesting because-
1: Al, you've almost noticed something similar in the news business, honestly. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember we were on a road trip, and we saw a billboard that had, you know, those four generic news people in suits that every market has. News news 4, News 5, News six, seven, eight, ten, 10, whatever it is, you know, and it's the four same people. And you looked at me, and you said, man, I hate that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it's, why, it's why I have no personal effects at my TV station, because I know they're going to fire me any minute. Because <laughs> I... I I, I think you 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 know I I yell this all the time uh, is you know we can't beat our competitors if we look just like them <laughs> and uh in in my business in the news business that's a big thing is like you know everybody's got a suit on everybody everybody's attractive uh, you know I'm I'm the token older unattractive guy uh, and but you know I, I think the same thing about the convenience store I can't tell you how many times I, I talked to these individual owners who say, I don't want to be like the big shiny store down the street mm-hmm. because, uh, gosh, you know, uh, you know, people go in and they go out of those places and I'm not sure, you know, they get what they want. It's clean. It's neat. It's good. But when you go into the small places, there's character there. Uh, yeah. it, it just in the decor or lack of decor. And there's often characters behind the counter. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, so th- some of these guys really get that we don't want to look slick. And I know in my business, there's a lot of slick-looking TV people out there, and and it's so homogenous, and f- that's a great point, the, Frank. The brand, um, so I, I'm i writing this
2: book. You guys, it's taking me forever. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> recommend writing a book, by the way. So I I'm started writing this book about brand many. development, and one of the things that I, I kind of... As I'm read, read, uh, drafting it and reviewing it and stuff, I want to dig a little deeper into the why we struggle to, to break out of the, 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 the norm. Why is that so hard for us to look different? Why is that so risky to hire Nitro? Why is it so risky to send something crazy to somebody or have, the, have this authentic and vulnerable voice online? Why is that so hard? And I, and I propose that it's because, as when we were kids, we wanted to be different. Yeah. But as soon as we got into like this, like uh, adolescence, man, we did not want to stand out because the minute we stood out, we got hammered. I remember, to, to case in point. Okay, I grew up early '80s, born in 1970, early '80s. Remember, this is when chips was popular, California Highway Patrol, Ponch and John and stuff like that. And you had Andy and Barry Gibb, kind of the, late in their season stuff. Now, the coolest thing was feathered hair parted right down the middle. Oh, yeah. You know, feathered hair. I mean, all the good-looking guys had feathered hair. Well, I had this terrible cowlick right here that would always, I don't have no hair now, but that always pushed my hair over. And I said, Mom, I want, I want feathered hair. It'd be so cool. And so she expertly took a curling iron and feathered my hair and it looked awesome. I was strutting my stuff so cause I could be like, I wanted to be like these popular people, right? But I was different than the people in my school, right? The, and, and people were like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. You know, I got this like good, uh, good vibe out of it. The next morning, I think Mom got a little heavy on the curling iron, <laughs> so the it didn't look feathered anymore. It looked curled, right? Uh oh. <laughs> yep. So I go and and I received what every like adolescent kid gets when you look different. Ernie's a girly whirly, oh. you know. Oh. And I'm so I'm like I got hammered with that. The last thing I want to do is stand out. Now, I mean, at that point in time, so I think that like that gets ingrained in us as we grow up and so the fear of standing out keeps us and prevents us from being authentic and celebrating that authenticity in a remarkable way cuz we we don't want to get ridiculed we don't we're afraid to be different
1: so i've i've got two things i want to say to that cuz i think that's really insightful oh god first, yeah first is i think for a lot of people the fear of standout is fear of standing out is compounded by just fear of losing their job. Um, if you take a corporate structure, mm-hmm. um, all right. If I propose this bad idea, if I if I look around and I say like, look, I don't want to go spend money on clothes that I'm never going to wear outside of this office to show up to work to tell you I'm professional. I buy hundred fifty dollar jeans and nice hoodies, and that's what I want to wear because that's what I'm gonna. That's what I, what I work well in. Well, you know it. People don't like. Getting to that point, I think they'd rather just kind of play by the rules and stay hidden. And uh, there's a lot of risk when you stand out at work. Um, there, for a lot of people, there can be. Yep. I think a lot of people are just honestly afraid of losing their job. Um, so why would they yeah. go that extra mile to do that? But They're in the wrong job. Oh, I, you I, know, I agree obviously completely. Obviously, they're in the
2: wrong job. Yeah. If they
1: can find a place where like, you know what I want to wear all day? I want to wear
2: jeans and like a Columbia shirt or a cool brand shirt. I want to wear a baseball hat. You know, and make it look like I'm on a bench because I love adventure clothes. Don't work for a bank. Work for Maverick, or work for REI, or work for. You
1: know what I mean? So, but it's I mean, that fear is go work for that a tech fear company. tells you they I'm in the wrong hoodies. place. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you know, it's it, it's tough because I think a lot of people um. I actually, if you look into job satisfaction rates, it's actually pretty depressing what you'll find. I've done this. Um, the fact is that most people either hate what they do or at least generally kind of dislike but don't right. really like. Um, there's not a lot of happiness, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But I, I think a lot of people check the boxes they need to check to not have any conflict with work so they can keep the paycheck coming in. I'm wired in the way where I've, I've got to actually really like what I do. Otherwise, I'm probably going to find a way out of it. Yeah. I, But – That's the first point I want to make. I I think a lot of people are just afraid of losing their job. You know, so why would they propose these radical changes if they can just keep playing by the rules and get by? But the second thing, I think something interesting is happening with social media. And I'm not to say, uh, you know, it's bad or it's good or anything. But if you're growing up at a time where social media has always been around rather than me, where it showed up, you know, Facebook showed up in college before then we had MySpace and some other garbage. But the way... The way people like and interact with your post, everything that you share is essentially being validated um, by your peers. If you go on a vacation and you share some photos, if you don't get likes on those photos, you're effectively being told that there was no value in an experience that you may have really valued. Um, And I'm not sure what the answer is, but I kind of have to wonder, um, how's it going to feel for someone who from the age of five has had Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and their entire life is being you know, put through the lens of do my peers affirm what I'm doing and what I'm saying, it almost seems like it would encourage a lot of people to just be an amalgamation of best practices like some of these convenience stores.
2: Yep, yep, Yeah. When I was, when I was in uh, junior high, I loved drawing. I mean, I, when I was 12 years old, my parents got rid of our TV. I've got eight brothers. So my mom hated us watching TV because we would all be like zombies. She called it the idiot box. Okay, turn off that idiot box. Inner, well, turn off that I, idiot box.
0: Okay, I, I make my living in that industry. Just FYI, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did too. A lot of TV commercials. <laughs> I, I, I would like to send your mother a television. <laughs> It'll only get one channel, our channel, but <laughs> very important. So we, she got rid of this, this the idiot box. Um. <laughs> And, oh, god, uh, I hate. I, oh, it hurts so badly when you say that. <laughs> it, it's it's an information machine. Whoa, whoa! Wait. We were not using
2: it for information. We were watching cartoons. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, it's not. <laughs> it's so funny. It's not the gun. It's the where. It's the user. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, uh, but that that I wasn't being entertained by some mindless TV uh, c- cartoons. I used that time to really dive into drawing and I loved it. I love drawing. And one of the things that happened though, the social media for me was I found myself drawing for the pleasure and attention for other people. Mm. Instead of being like a, an artist that says, Hey, I want to do this for me and I don't care what anybody thinks. Like a fine. I think that's what a fine artist is. I'm a fine artist. I want to paint this for me. And it represents my personality, my viewpoint. And if people don't like it, well, they're screw them, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I became like this this art prostitute, where the first part of my career was I I was a uh, commercial illustrator. I worked for ad agencies. I worked, and I loved making other people happy. I didn't care that they wanted the hat blue. Or make this guy a girl or whatever. I'm like, I just want to make you happy. And what's sad about that, honestly, as I look back, I mean, years of pandering to the client is, um, while I love the relationship, it was never about the art. It was never about, like, what I wanted or what I did. Um, And so, from a personal satisfaction, I ended up not liking to draw. I didn't... I was really good at it and I could do anything. I mean, i after for years and years and years of doing illustration, I can pretty much draw or paint, whatever. I have no paint, no art in my house because it turned into a job. Mm. And I was doing this for the attention of other people. And if they didn't like it, then it sucked. It had no inherent value. It was based on what other people judged. So even, I was facing the same social media peer pressures that the kids are facing now instantly on social media. And it's very powerfully, it, it can be very negative. It, it forced me or it kind of, it stimulated me to be a professional because I thought, oh, I'm good. I've got some, you know, some cred here. I'm going to invest more time in it and polish my skill and stuff and get better and better and better and, better and get that feedback. And it creates this cycle. But it also kind of took away the enjoyment of it from a personal standpoint. Uh, so,
1: I,
0: you know, I totally
2: understand how people get into that rat race. Oh
0: God, yeah.
1: That's an interesting thing to bring up too, because you know, mentioning that you're writing a book. Um, I mean, I've I've dabbled in writing sci-fi and fantasy for years, um, and one of the things. I always notice like anytime some book comes out that just becomes one of those like unicorn bestseller types. It's so funny how instantly about five different authors show up about two, three months later in the store and it looks like they just ripped off their cover designs Mm -hmm. um, and the books are functionally just the same story being told with different characters, um, yep. a lot of copycats. But I think it's just anyone that engages in a creative endeavor, you, you know, you know, what kind of success is able to be had out there because you've, you've seen people have it. And you know that they, in a lot of cases, maybe have just gotten really lucky. Um, mm-hmm. It's good, but there's a lot of luck involved. And I agree. it's so tempting to try to mirror, I think, what is already successful rather than just do what you actually are passionate about. Right. Uh, but sometimes those are, that's actually w- where the good stuff is is when you do write or draw or paint whatever you personally care about.
2: You know, when, when we, uh, one of the things I talk about when I talk to clients about brand development, they, if they're not creative, inherently creative, they want to like a politician or something. I don't have a viewpoint. I want to find out what my viewpoint should be. So let's go interview the customers to find out what they want. And, the problem with that is that you'll never find something original because anything that they'll say they've already seen, they've already experienced, right? Whereas designers, clothing designers, um, you know, fashion designers and stuff like that, they they don't do that. They 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 dream this crazy stuff up, they put it out on the the runway, and it's crazy. And then some stuff sticks. It's okay that like. 5% of my new wardrobe is being picked up by Nordstrom or whatever, right? But it's, it's because they're inventive and they're starting from a place of imagination instead of a place of, I have a lab that I need to take existing ingredients and perspectives and find out which ones are working, test them, and then use that and say, here's our brand. Well, if that's our brand, it's like everybody else's. And it's not, it doesn't have the heart and the passion to fuel it sufficiently to get it off the launching pad. Otherwise it just sits there and smolders and it's like, ah, it's another one of those
1: boring convenience stores. Well, see, this really brings up something that I wanted to mention um, at some point on this conversation, because personal branding is obviously a big topic right now. And what you're describing is literally what I see on LinkedIn all the time, which is you see these folks that just take these generic, uh, keynote speaker guru, uh, 10 X, this or that. And they throw it in their LinkedIn, you know, headline, and they're just a dime a dozen, you know, especially if you're looking at folks that are trying to make uh, video content for companies, like it's like, they've all read a ton of Gary V and they're just going to share all this self-help and, I I don't know. I'm honestly sick of it. I it's so fake. <laughs> I can't stand it. Like it's I would just say what's on your mind. Like stop stop sharing these not everything you do every day has to be a self-help post. Like it gets old. It it gets old. I I, I mean maybe I'm tainted because I've read too much Alan Watts who would would have hated that stuff, but uh it's like just be yourself. Like if you're passionate about something, post about it. Um any topic is interesting if you go deep enough. I mean And I mean that like someone could even make insurance interesting to me because it does get interesting if you dig deep enough, but like whatever you do for work, LinkedIn is such a great opportunity to share your ideas and your experiences. You don't have to go the self-help route to get attention.
2: Well, here's one of the things I struggle with. Honestly, I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you is that I am a, I've got hyperactive productivity disorder, Mm -hmm. which I don't think that's a real thing, but it's a real thing to me. Okay. I hate social media. What I mean, I mean, I hate it completely. <laughs> because wow. as, an, as an employer, I see the drain of my resources, the company resources, being given, you know, I'm paying all these people to do their jobs, and they spend a significant amount of time on social media while they're working. They're being distracted. They're not bringing their best, you know, bringing their best efforts. And it's become this like uh, addiction where they, they can't function. So here I am. This is the vulnerable part of it. I'm being told by Gary Vee and everybody else saying, Ernie, if you're going to be a public speaker and a consultant, a trusted resource and a trusted personality in, in the world today, you need to have a strong social media following. I look at posting stuff on social media the way I did as a six-year-old pulling weeds in a one-acre garden. I do not want to do it. And I look at it and go, oh, crap, I got to do social media today. Oh. And what I do is, like, I'll spend three hours doing a three-paragraph or two-paragraph post because I want to be just right. I want to be crafted. I want to be like it. I want to feel right, not just... So Gary V., he throws out his cell phone, and he's like, hey, guys, what's up? I'm doing this thing for 30 seconds, and I'm going to show it to billions of people... See you later. You should do the same thing. I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to be on social media, but I feel like I'm compelled to. I have mm-hmm. to in that space. Kind of like, and here I am criticizing uh, uh, convenience stores for. Do you really need to have a loyalty program? I'm like, ah. Oh, so how do I how do I navigate <laughs> you know the social media world? Because I feel like it handcuffs me. You know, every day or three times a week, I'm supposed to. Come up with something clever that takes me two or three hours of time, each one, that I could have been doing something else with that, that gets more than 300 views, 25 likes, and eight comments.
1: You know, yeah, it can be a real double-edged sword. I am. Well, it can be a real double-edged sword. Like, I, I mean, I don't have the largest following on social media, but it's good people. Um, and I just try to share things that are interesting. Like if I visit a store that's cool, I have real. I try to avoid well, – you ra- do.
2: You visit well, a lot of stores that are cool, and you have a, a very valuable opinion because you have you have um, perspective.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, very few people actually have been to as many stores as you have, and and can be able to say, "Hey, this is actually pretty cool. This is actually kind of sucky." And well, so I- you have very valuable opinion.
1: I just try to keep it authentic. I, I mean, to your point about the videos and stuff, I, I've seen people saying that too. That oh, I got to be doing you know selfie videos and all this, and I'm like, man, I hate watching that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't consume that kind of content personally, so I'm not going to produce it. What I do like is uh, you know sometimes you'll get. I don't know, like an operations manager from a small chain somewhere in the United States and like, hey, we just remodeled this store and they show five photos. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Or um, someone gets a really insightful article and is like, hey, guys, I just wanted to share this because I want everyone to read this. Like, that's cool. But where I've gotten a lot of value, honestly, is from LinkedIn and to a lesser degree Twitter, just because it's made it so easy to meet people. Now, granted, you've always got a bunch of people that are just trying to reach out and sell a bunch of stuff to you. But right. I've I've probably got 10 or 15 people that have just reached out and been like, hey, I want to pick your brain on something. We have a lot of like mutual connections. You jump on a call for 30 minutes, it turns into an hour because they turn out to be one of the most interesting people you've talked to. And then you end up staying in touch with them. And it's that would have never happened without social media. I've met some really great people that way. But I, I agree. I don't think you need to be like and again, I'll get criticized for this, but I don't think you need to be like Gary Vee doing these stupid selfie videos and stuff. But like, that's, and I'm struggling on how to word this, but right. I think you, a lot you, of it, you're prolific. Well, well, but I think I, a lot of this is garbage. And here's why I got followed by somebody on Twitter one day. All right. He had, he's again, a marketing guru, whatever the heck that means. Um, You know, like if you're a guru at something, you don't have to tell people you are because they Good know point. you are Yeah, like, The results speak for themselves, but this guy follows me and he's got 300,000 followers and he's following 299,000. Now I know for a fact, he didn't sit on Twitter and click 299,000 follow buttons. This was probably, he probably paid a service who just followed a bunch of people and got a bunch of garbage followers as a result. It's all fake. Like a lot of this stuff is. And you can tell because when you go to his engagement, he gets like two likes. Yeah. If you have three hundred thousand followers, you can't get more than a couple likes. Right. Like, it's just garbage. And that's the thing. If you it's quantity over quality. If you just throw some good content out there, you're passionate about it, like someone will listen to you. It's yeah. it's not that complicated. But I, I used to figure out for myself. I just kind of figure out like there occasionally I'll have some experiences
2: I want to share, but I'm usually I'm I am very, very comfortable in front of a large crowd, but I'm actually a very private person. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm not speaking, it's in. I'll be completely happy finishing a a presentation, going to the hotel, and saying nothing to anybody all night and like eating dinner alone. I'd be totally happy doing that.
1: Oh, see, I get that. I mean, believe it or not, I'm actually pretty introverted. I'll take my Kindle to the bar and not talk to anybody. <laughs> I'm I'm wired that way, so <laughs> I get it. And that's what's tough about social media too. Is like you you feel like. You almost have to go the opposite route, but I—I I mean, hopefully he's not listening. I'ma tell a story about my my own my own father. Uh, so, um, but this is a good story. Um, you know, they owned a trade bindery uh, as a, su- a successful company, and I remember one time. Asking them, like, why didn't they have this big social media presence? I mean, I I was much younger, but why don't you have this flashy website? Why don't you have this and this? And then you start to realize their business exists off of relationships they've already built with all the people they need to know. That, you know, all that stuff that you think you need to have, that's not what was getting them business. It was other things. And to your point, like, showing up at a conference and delivering something that no one forgets when they walk out of that room – is so much more powerful than I've than I got a hundred likes on some pictures right. or uh, edgy statement. That makes a difference. People remember that, and like you know how it is, they'll come up and talk to you afterward, and they'll, you know, you'll make a few connections with people. You 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 brought up a uh, a great example of uh, your um your parents'
2: business in terms of what works for them, and the fear of seeing other people, other businesses, your competitors doing something like. Putting in electric charging stations or, um, you know, serving frozen yogurt or whatever, like a, a, the newest coffee or something. They look at those things and go, well, we've got to do the same thing. Uh, we've got to do social media. We've got to do... We have got this great website. And I'm, I'm a victim to the fear as well. You know, I'm. what if people... Look at my social media account on LinkedIn. They're going to hire me to to speak or hire me to to consult with them. And they go on social media and go, gosh, you know what? This oh, guy only has like yeah. 30 followers, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like, oh, crap. I got to have, no. you know, more than, obviously I have more than 30 followers, but not, yeah. not how many people care. <laughs> They're my,
1: okay, I've got a big family. So my mom's on there. My dad's <laughs> on there. You know, but that's, but that's a good point. I, I, I mean, if we're being vulnerable here, like I suffer from imposter syndrome to a, a disturbing degree. Yeah. I, I've just accepted that it's never going to go away. Yeah. And it's a thing. You're in. I've imposter. also realized. You don't well, belong. I've, I've also realized that most people are just faking it as they go along and they're just winging it through life. We all are like, I, I mean, you know, it is, it is what it is like, um, but I felt, I felt good. I guess I felt good the other day because I listened to a podcast with one of these people who self brands as a guru and a noted expert and all these things that I hate. And, uh, he was being brought on to talk about something that it turns out I've been like, literally I've spoken around the world on for the last, almost last two years. Mm -hmm. So I guess it made me feel a little bit better, but to, but to your point, um, yeah, that is a bit of a fear. Like, I mean, some some people look at those numbers and they su- subscribe value to them, but yeah. I don't know. At the end of the day, I think results speak <clears throat> speak for themselves.
2: They they do, and I think uh, the challenge. So, so in in an organization, whether you're a convenience store or any other, uh, an individual or a corporation, excelling at what you do is not enough. It's great, but it's not enough because there are inferior products and inferior services that will get attention if they've got a good brand and a good marketing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, like Al, you could probably talk to some, like, uh, either camera equipment. Remember beta versus VHS? Oh, God, stuff yeah. Like it's like, uh. come on. Like, Oh, yeah. Everybody in the world, all the professionals, we were using beta. Right. Right? <laughs> Yet, and it was way better product. Way better product than VHS. But guess what? We were all using V... You know, we're all, you know, watching these terrible movies or these movies on terrible video quality because, you know, if if I was beta at the time, I would have branded myself as a consumer product, you know, that's the best quality because the product and features of beta are better than VHS. So, yep. I don't know, Al. You probably have
0: yeah. more insight than I do. No, I mean you're absolutely right. I, I, I was, I was always puzzled by that, and, um, and of course, it's all gone now. Yeah. Uh, it's, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, and, and I, I love what you said about uh, excelling at what you do is, is, is not enough. You know, yep. that's so true. And I mean, we, we live it in my business, and of course, visiting convenience stores around the country you know, I, I see it, you know, I, I see it all the time. I One of my favorite stories is there's a little place in a town called West Texas. This guy got out of the Marines and bought this little convenience store right across the street from a, uh, one of the big ones, you know, like the big one in this country. And uh, his friends made fun of him. And uh, when I went there to do a story, uh, the big I mean, the big box convenience store had closed down, and he bulldozed the parking lot, and bought it, and and I mean, he bulldozed to create a parking lot out of it. Yeah. And so, like, you know, this guy got the word out. I mean, he sells like one hundred forty four thousand kolaches every seven days. That's wow. six hundred kolaches every hour. And you know, when you ask him why, he just shrug his shoulders. We're well, just doing better. Don't get it, you know. But uh-huh. that's like he excelled at what he did people found out about it but he he did something more than that that word got out and yeah. no one ever thought you know that the big box store would close but he beat them you know and uh and the God, word can that, get out by your customers absolutely that's great. and that's the best word that's the of best all one. yeah yeah you not have to be, but you have to
2: give them something to talk about you yeah. have to be remarkable right and you which means like sometimes that word just loses uh Meaning? Oh, that's remarkable. No. I mean, literally, people will have that experience and remark to their friends and family about it. Right. Do you have a remarkable Absolutely. business? Oh, we're remarkable. Bull. Because no one's talking about you. Right. Remarkable means everybody's talking about you. And and if you're not remarkable,
0: you better be. That's the best investment in dollars you can get, you know. See, I... The wisdom of your mother getting rid of the televisions was perhaps that uh, you perhaps grew up not being uh, so susceptible to advertising uh, because I'm still childlike in that. I'll see see a commercial on television and go, I want that. My wife goes, God, when are you going to grow up? And I said, I suppose never because (laughs) she said, do you believe everything you see on TV? And I went, yes, yes, I do because it pays the bills and uh, I have I have two children who do that and uh who like uh you know my kids I'm an old guy with young kids and I mean they see stuff on tv Especially my oldest one oh my god well we got to have that I mean I can't tell you how many times I've run off to the store and bought something ridiculous and I get back here and I'm disappointed because it didn't live up to the commercial you know (laughs) and and you go this is not that good I am sad about this experience and uh Man, your mom was, boy, from that perspective, other than missing, only life could
2: be as good as a commercial or,
0: God, yes,
2: a a movie trailer.
0: Oh, Uh, oh, uh, my God. Movie trailers, they're the worst. Oh, my God. They're so good. And then you go to the movie, you spend two hours, you're like, oh, no. Can I get this time back? (laughs) Oh, geez. Trailers. Well,
1: well, as we start, we, well, as we start wrapping, wrapping up here, um, Couple of things I just wanted to ask that we like to ask all of our guests as we end out. Uh, first is what what books, podcast, articles, any sort of resource would you recommend people take a look at?
2: You know, I'm as a branding guy, I live, breathe, and drink branding. And uh, a lady named Denise Leon. I'm gonna grab it real quick. Okay, I'm still
1: here. I think you know while he's grabbing that, I'm pretty sure I follow her on Twitter
2: is amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she was at uh, CRU a couple years ago, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, cuz that was that year that you were MCing. It. I think I loaned it
2: to somebody. But
1: Denise Lejean, um
2: yeah, she's great. She writes about authentic, like in incorporating your brand into your culture mm-hmm. and how it's got to it's got to represent what you do and how you do it, not just your marketing materials. And uh so when I heard her speak, it was like she is talking to me in my language. My my f string was boom, and I'm like, I'm in harmony with this woman, you know. So I think, and she writes in a way and presents in a way that is very clear and very um, uh, just easy to understand. Uh, so you can sit down and read one of her books and go, I get it, I understand her, and she does it in a in a great way. And then and then another one, uh, one of my most uh. Uh, prized books is Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Oh yeah. Changed my life. Um, I have, I have Tim Ferriss's book for, for many years. I had it right next to my, on my nightstand next to my scriptures. And I would refer to him as brother Ferris, <laughs> like a prophet or something. <laughs> I, right. I love that. It's like
1: brother Ferris says, and I say to you, amen. Now I'm, so. I'm curious. What, what did you like best about that book? Uh,
2: I think the way he practicalized the 8020, the Plato's principle is basically like be as effective as you possibly can be and don't spend any time more than is necessary on anything to get results. So if if uh if 20% of the effort gets you 90% of the results, you don't need to do 25% because the the incremental effort is not going to give you the result. So it's basically just being very smart about um Investing time and effort into things, and and really being care, being careful about watching and and measuring the results instead of just going along the current of life, doing what you do. I think he calls it work for work's sake. Oh, well, I'm working. I'm checking my email. In fact, some of the things I did as a result of that book was I stopped watching the news. Sorry, sorry, Al. Oh,
0: oh, oh no. i stopped watching I the call news. Nine, call nine nine one. I'm um, my heart stopped. <laughs> I,
2: um, and, uh, my emails, I end up ignoring most of my emails because what I'd find is people who were really busy were juggling emails all day. And so what I would do is I'd go, okay, the first two hours of every day, I'm not touching email. And if I don't get to your message, it's going to either go, I'll just delete it in mass batches. And I'd get complaints. Ernie's not responding to my email. Ernie hasn't responded to my email. I'm like, do you know why? Because I'm getting work done. And if it's really that important, you'll either call me, you'll text me, or you'll meet with me. And if you try to text me three, four times and don't get something from me, you'll probably get it taken care of by somebody else, which is fine with me. Right? So I stopped, uh, I stopped caring so deeply about email and productivity and clean, em- you know, emptying my inbox. Cause I do that at night. I'm with my family watching TV, not the news, but TV.
0: Oh, and, uh, God! <laughs> this is a very painful <laughs> podcast. Prank. I have been so cruel. I oh, have been so good cruel. Good Lord, Al! Oh, oh God! No, to
1: be now to be fair to Al though, um, your your news program is is more like. An entertainment show you'd see on YouTube than it is a, a standard news program. I mean, you guys do like goat yoga and all kinds of crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, we
0: we're the most goat friendly morning show in America, Frank. Awesome. Thanks for pointing that out. Awesome.
1: Yeah, he's 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 not defending himself here, but he actually completely changed the format of that news program, and it's 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 more like an entertainment channel on YouTube. It's oh. the coolest thing.
2: Well, yeah, I you did, guys. I found that there's lots of pain in the world that I couldn't do anything about, and it was affecting me. Yeah. It was affecting my outlook on life and I started not trusting people. And I was the same way with sports. I would like follow the Utah jazz and I'd get passionate about it. And if they lost, I'd be pissed. And I'm like, I can't there's nothing that I can do to influence the performance of the jazz or of what's on the news. All I can do is influence what's in my life, my employees, my creativity, and so I just went I diverted all my attention to those things. That's what the four hour work week helped me
1: do. Yeah. Tim Ferriss actually has a lot of good stuff. I remember when I first got involved in this industry, you know, suddenly it's like, I, I got asked to go speak somewhere and I'm not, I mean, I like talking, but I wasn't used to doing a ton of public speaking. And, um, and I'm like, I'm going to conferences that I'm not familiar with. What do I do? And I remember he recorded an episode of his podcast that was all about when he launched that book and he went to South by Southwest mm-hmm. because he knew nobody, he didn't know what he was doing, and he said one of the lessons he took from that is um don't discount anybody. You know, don't write anyone off because yeah. you know he said it was that and then also focus on making one or two genuine human connections instead of just getting stacks of business cards because he's like that will pay off. Very deeply over the long run, and I found that to be a hundred percent accurate.
2: That's good, good insight, yeah, for sure.
1: Um, But then, you know, finally, as we end out here, um, to someone that's getting into the fuel and C store world, whether they're starting a starting a store, starting a chain, uh, just getting out of college and taking that first job at the corporate level, what advice would you offer to them?
2: Oh man, Um, I first of all, you're lucky. I think convenience store business is one of the most exciting industries in the world because uh, there are few businesses that connect with people in real life, like not virtually, but in real life with people on a daily basis or a semi-daily basis than convenience stores. Banks don't do it. Grocery stores don't do it. You know, most retail, even McDonald's doesn't do it. Maybe Starbucks does because it's a, a, you know, a daily thing, but convenience stores are the same way, but convenience stores has the option to, you know, sell fuel. That's a very different business. They have a restaurant. That's a different business. It's got a store for merchandise and and food products. So you have three different businesses converging onto one lot and you've got the most interesting people coming. So I think, first of all, you're lucky to be able to work in an industry that is super fun and it's there's always something new okay um, and by the way you get junk food which is awesome
0: oh like deep I'm fry. telling you what gotcha.
2: you get the the first flavor of all the the new energy drink flavors you know <laughs> you got the, the jalapeno Cheetos or whatever all the different truffle oil ruffles okay that's my I love <laughs> that stuff and then oh, um, too but uh, uh, I as I look at like my the biggest hurdles I had to face were um like working with the i t department. That was a super hard challenge because you have different you want the the same result, you know, which is customer engagement on your website or your your mobile app or your loyalty platform or whatever. but the way to go about it they see they see it differently, and so um uh, be be patient might be one. Uh, for your career, you may not be CEO in two years, which might be a devastating. Uh, but love, love what you do and stick with what you love, because promotion for promotion's sake make could make you very very miserable. If you're fantastic as a a clerk, and the you know and and you love people, you don't want to be a manager. That's a different job. Yeah, it pays you a little more, but. Same thing applies to like, what if you're a category manager over, um, CSD, you know, uh, and you, you love the, that, that, that category space. Do you want to move up to be a uh, director of all merchandising of, of all category management? Do you want that? So be, be selective about promotion because money, money isn't everything. You know, it's, it definitely won't bring you the, the happiness that, A good job that you love doing that you're great at, uh, you know, I I guess stick with what you really love and be okay with being good at what you do instead of, oh, I have to be next level. I was, that was me for my whole career. I think it's, I still suffer from that right now. I'm like, I'm never good enough. I will never be good enough. And, and that, that, uh, that is awesome for my, Career, but terrible for me emotionally, because if I will never be good enough, uh, no matter how much success I have, I won't be as happy as I could be. If I was less successful but happier.
1: Yeah, I think that's excellent advice. Very well,
2: and I dropped the mic. I'm, where's the mic? I just oh, here it is, right here. Yeah, dropped, exactly. Right the mic. I'm
1: like, well. I want to respond to that, but I think that's actually a really good point to end on. Um, yeah, that was that was good. Well, Ernie, thanks so much for joining oh, us on this podcast. This you. was a conversation we'd wanted to have for a while, so oh, yeah. we really yeah. really appreciate you. We should really do it again. You this has been
0: fascinating.
2: I took notes. I took oh, good. Notes. Let's dig deeper into a subject. I think that would be way fun. I,
0: I love think, this.
1: This is. A great I think talk. so too. Yeah. If there's ever anything that comes up that you really just like, you're like, "All right, I want to go and talk for an hour or two about this thing and get my yep. opinion out there." Let us know because we would definitely be interested in scheduling another. Absolutely. Interview.
0: You bet. Okay, guys. Thank well, what, you so thank much. Thank you. What, wait. Hey, one last yeah. thing. Yep. You know, it's very important to drink a lot of water, stay hydrated, eat a lot yep. of fiber. But honestly, Ernie, I don't. I don't think you can watch enough television. So uh, is that is that right? That's, that's what I tell people all the time. So watch more TV, Ernie, because somewhere out there where you live is a guy like me, uh, you know, getting up every morning trying to crank out a decent, uh, a decent, decent news decent piece TV. Yeah, well, not news. I, You know, or someone's milking goats, uh, you know, uh, but uh, watch more TV.